This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 74 for Monday, March 26, 2012. Uh, great to be here. We have a special guest on the program this week. I'd like to introduce Lisa from TalkingWalkingDead.com. Lisa, thanks for coming on. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be doing this. Yeah, it's going to be forward to it. It's going to be really, really fun. I think you've been writing for the site f- for uh, Talking Walking Dead for a while now, right? About four months. Ian Geddes started the site and had put a couple of blogs up himself, and I was introduced to him through a friend on Facebook, and started writing for him almost immediately and. For a long time, was pretty much the only writer, although we've spread out now, and we have eight or ten. Oh, cool. And uh, cover a whole wide variety of things instead of just the Daryl Dixon character, which was kind of my focus. <laughs> well, um, he, he, he teases me and tells me that I'm the, the Daryl expert, and I don't really agree with that, but that's okay. Well, that's okay. We can talk a little bit more about Daryl and Norman Reedus as we go on here. I have some I have some questions about him, and I think you're probably the expert to ask. So we'll no, talk about him a little scary. bit more. <laughs> no, that's all right. Before we do that, though, I have to say a happy National Nougat Day to both of you. Nougat as in, as in the uh, the chocolate bar nougat? <laughs> as in the contents of a Toblerone, I believe. Nice. <laughs> you know, I've always kind of found nougat to just be extraneous with chocolate. <laughs> really? You just want the yeah. chocolate, eh? I just want the chocolate. I can I can see that. Now, yeah. today was a bit of a funny uh, day to pick a holiday because apparently today is also National Make-Up-Your-Own-Holiday Day. Oh, so <laughs> tough oh call. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you mean I can make it National Daryl Dixon Day? If you want there to. There it is. And Ooh, I think that might, I think that's a great idea. That's official. It's, it's National Daryl Dixon Day. <laughs> I could have also gone with Spinach Festival Day. That was, yeah. that was my other choice. <laughs> I like spinach even less than nougat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But I went with nougat. I figured it was a little more universal. All righty. So one more thing I wanted to just mention before we really get into the meat of this program is that last night, overnight sometime, our Facebook page officially hit 100 likes. Thousand. Uh, 1,000 likes, 100 <laughs> likes. Sad, sad day. Yeah, boy, am I. I should just do that all over again. Four people liked us on Facebook. <laughs> That's amazing. 1,000 likes, yes. not 100, 1,000. Uh, so a huge thank you out to everyone who is taking part in our Facebook page and liking us. That was very exciting. I was uh, holding my breath as it, you know, hit <clears throat> 980, 980, 983, <laughs> 989, and then, you know, just overnight. I, when I checked it last night, it was 994, I think. Yep. And then this morning it was 1,001. It was it was very exciting. We've been sort of working towards that for a little bit now, and uh, I re- it, it feels like just yesterday that we passed 500, so here we are at 1,000, and very excited. Very, very Lisa, I think with the big boys now. Yeah, I guess so. I, Lisa, I think you had a part in that because you were kind of promoting your appearance on the show here, and uh, I just want to say thanks for doing that because it's obviously brought a few more ears to our to our uh, site. Well, I'm glad to do it. I've listened to you guys guys since before the show actually started on AMC, the anticipation and everything, yeah. and I've I've always liked your show a lot. <clears throat> I don't. I, I never really thought that I had that much of a following just from my silly little blog, but well, anything I can do to help out is is 
something I'm glad to do. I think it clearly made a little bit of a difference because uh, the the likes picked up a little bit. I think in the last week or or two, they so, have uh, the uh, we have the 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 chart of you know the likes per week yeah. kind of thing, and that sucker's going on an upward trend. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. Yeah, we'll see what happens over the summer. It'll probably level off for a while, and then we'll get back into it next next season. Right. Okay, so we've got lots to do here. Um, we're gonna do a few news items before we before we do anything else because we haven't done specifically news in a while because of course we've been covering the show and the new episodes that we're on. But now that season two is all wrapped up, I want to go back and cover a few news items that we've sort of neglected um, in the past month or so. There's some really good stuff here. But first, I wanna talk about the season finale and the ratings that it set. Oh yeah. So it had some pretty good ratings, I will tell you. I just want to know, aren't they bored yet with breaking records? <laughs> well, <laughs> you'd think. It seems like every week the, the news is, oh, it broke another record. Oh, it broke another record. Yeah, well, this week it did it's as well. We had 9 million viewers, Oof. 9 million, 6 million of those in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is quite a big deal. Now, these numbers make it the most watched episode of The Walking Dead of all time. Wow. Also, the most watched episode of any show AMC has ever aired. <laughs> and the top rated show in cable history among the adult demographic. That's according to Entertainment Weekly. Wow. So, yeah, they, they break new records, it seems like, every week. That, that, that's a lot of eyeballs. And the, oh, I think we lost her. No, you didn't. No, 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 okay, I heard nope. a sound. That's I'm, just right. being, I'm just being quiet for a change. No, I thought I heard a, a Skype-type sound that uh, meant that, sorry, I jumped the gun there. Ah, uh, you probably did. Skype makes noises all the time. Yeah, so, uh, you know, my confusion is that if it's the most-watched show that, uh, you know, episode of The Walking Dead, does that mean that some people tuned in and watched this episode that had never seen another episode? I guess probably. so, yeah. Wouldn't they be confused? Well, but there are people I know who had not watched the series um, actually, some of them who had not watched it until after they read my blog that are friends of mine that I've kind of introduced them to it. And they've gone back and watched the others on video from first season and things like that. So it's absolutely possible. Hmm. I know my mom watched a, uh, the first episode ever a couple of weeks ago because of the, uh, you know, I was talking about the podcast and she said, well, maybe I should check out that show. And then she watched it and then she called me and said, I'm not watching any more of those. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know your mom. She uh, doesn't strike me as... A huge zombie fan, but you never know. Right. You think she, you know a person. She's and... not a zombie fan. <laughs> but I think you're right. I'm sure there are people that pick up on the hype a little bit. I mean, AMC's promoting this exactly. thing like crazy. Yeah. So there are going to be people who are just flipping around on their TV, never heard of, heard of it before, come across a commercial, and then decide to tune in and uh, decide they like it and either go back. But yeah, we, de we definitely every, every week have new viewers and the trend is just more and more all the time, it seems. So mm -hmm. We will... Uh, maybe AMC won't cut their budget again. <clears throat> maybe not, but... Did uh, I say that out loud? I probably shouldn't have <laughs> said that out loud. Should I? Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. It's it's one of those things that you ask one person and they say, oh, it, the budget was cut, and then somebody else says, no, it wasn't. We're just fine. So who knows? But uh, I think we have a little bit more on that later in another news item. Uh, to, to talk about. So the next news item is that Danai Gurira is cast as Michonne. Yay! Oh. Now, am I saying that right, do you guys think? I have Michonne. no idea. Or Michonne, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I'm like, Michonne, what do you mean? Yeah, Michonne um, is good. 
Guerrera, Guerrera. I don't know. I think Kirkman. I'm not on, positive. I had not heard of her actually before this. Neither had I. Kirkman announced it on AMC's Talking Dead right after the finale. Yeah. And uh, she's appeared as Jill in a show called Trem. Trem. Have you guys seen oh, that Treme. one? Treme. Oh, Treme. Yeah. Treme on HBO. Uh, it's about New Orleans. Yeah. I, I have not seen it except maybe one episode. Just kind of in passing because it was on after something else that I watched, but it was not one I watched my, a lot. My wife watched the first season and she thought it was great. And uh, I should definitely check it out because uh, I think John Goodman is in it. And you love him. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of John Goodman. So if he's <laughs> whatever he's in, but I'm just uh, I'm looking for it, but I can't, can't find it. Yeah, she was apparently she played Jill in six episodes and that's one of her only real recurring roles. So... I think over the summer, if we do more Walking Dead actor spotlights, she will definitely be one of the people we cover. So we'll get a chance to watch some of this show over the summer, but I haven't seen it before now. Right. Um, she was also in at Lie to Me, Law and Order, and Life on Mars, if you've seen any of those. Uh, which, the American Life on Mars? <laughs> sure. I don't know. There's, there's, it's it based on a British television yeah. show. <laughs> it was I, on the BBC, and then they remade it for American TV. My husband watched that, although I did not. I think maybe, I think probably the American one, but again, I haven't seen it. Uh, I have actually, come to think of it, not seen any of her her roles, so we're definitely going to have to get caught up on what she's been doing. Oh, yeah. Completely uh, new blood here for us. Totally. Um, in terms of movies, she was in Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais and The Visitor with Richard Jenkins. Oh, I saw Ghost Town. Did you? I saw Ghost Town. I love Ricky Gervais, yeah. but I don't remember her in it. Um, yeah, I think she had some pretty small parts in mm -hmm. those movies. You might not even notice her as she sort of goes by. Right. Uh, now, from an interview with uh, MTV, who caught up with her already, they, they asked her a few questions about what she's going to be doing and how, uh, how, she, how excited she is to be playing this character. And she said, I love kick-ass women and women who can get out there and do their thing and make things work for themselves. The whole way that Michonne was introduced as someone who has figured out how to function in this realm and how she's going to teach the others, that's really exciting to me, if that's how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised if she really has any idea how things are going to play out yeah, yet. No kidding. Quite yet. Uh, production starts in May, but who knows if people have scripts or anything like that in hand, so we don't really know. Kirkman had this to say about her. Uh, Denai really portrayed the power and strength that we need Michonne to exhibit. Michonne is a very complex character who's dealing with a lot of things and has a very intricate personality. There's a lot to that role, and Denai, more than any other actress, showed us that she could exhibit that strength and show what an intense character she could be. He also said that she will be going through extensive sword training oh. before production begins in early May. Most excellent. <laughs> so yeah. we could get some pretty awesome sword play here that's that's awesome which, which you would expect with michelle well i would hope at least that uh that, that she would go through some kind of training so she doesn't look like she's just you know wielding a uh, an axe handle of some kind <laughs> a, a tree branch or something yeah. swinging it around hopefully she's at least as good with that sword as uh, andrea is with a scythe and we know how good she is and with that yeah. and a pitchfork yeah exactly so it should be exciting to see her on the show come uh, come the fall, and uh, you know see see what happens. We got. I'm looking forward to it. Ab oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, She's. I have complained for a long time that the women in the show there weren't enough of them uh, with pardon the expression balls. Right. <laughs> not enough strong <laughs> women on the show. Not enough, and I'm really really glad to see Michonne. I uh, actually did the little fist pump thing when the scene played out because it had been rumored. 
that she was going to show up in the season finale. And when she actually did, I was quite excited. Oh, I was very excited. I called out Michonne and woke my wife up because she <laughs> fell asleep while watching that episode. <laughs> you, you didn't just start hitting her going, look, 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 look. look, look, look. How could she have fallen asleep during that episode? Oh, she's got a superpower. Oh, apparently. <laughs> Me too. I can fall asleep during it during anything so uh, I've, I've fallen asleep on you know subsequent watchings of uh, The Walking Dead but uh, never on a first viewing never no, the first time never, that's never good never the first time <laughs> yeah, that is good uh, hey Lisa I, I forgot to ask you you read the comic I assume right I have read the first three trade paperbacks and I'm in the fourth one right now okay so you're not they're in uh, the middle of the prison I'm not gotten all the way through it okay so I'm there's, working on it that's fine there's still lots of comic for you to catch up on but at yeah. least you've you've gotten the you're, you're farther into the comic than the TV show has ever gotten yet. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. And don't worry about spoiling it for me. All right. Well, we probably won't. We we uh, we try not to spoil the TV show, but we kind of spoil the comic sometimes, but yeah. we'll try not to. Uh, one piece of advice I can give you is do not go to the Walking Dead wiki and click on a, uh, a <laughs> list of characters. Cause that's, I already have. Oh, because that's what happened to me when I was in about <laughs> about where you are now. I looked at a list of characters, and it lists alive, alive, dead, 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 and it was a huge spoiler at that well, point. Well, my, my viewpoint on it, Jason, is that I can enjoy the trip even if I know the destination before I get in the car. That's true. Yeah, that's really It's, it's how you get there, not what the end result is for me that matters no matter <clears throat> what it is. So spoilers don't bother me too much. I know other people don't feel that way, though. Well, that's one of the things I've had to come to terms with actually doing this podcast, because it's part of the job here. And the nature of it is that we are going to spoil ourselves on the TV show, which, you know, I sort of had to get used to a little bit. It's the first time I've been this involved in a show that I've watched. So yeah, kind of get used to it. Here. And I'm sort of OK with it now. You know, it's just yeah. just the way it is. Uh, I, you know, for the finale there of season two. I, you know, I was sent a complete summary of that, that yeah, episode. I had seen it. I had seen it too. I didn't like, I read the first couple of sentences, but I actually stopped myself from reading all of it. I figured, you know, there's no point in spoiling myself too much, but yeah. at the same time, if it had been a few weeks earlier and we wanted to talk about something on the podcast, then I might've read through it and just to see what's there. But I think I saw the same spoiler that you did and I have seen some of those particularly, you know, online, which is, I guess, where all of them are. But I have seen some that didn't pan out to be what they said. Mm -hmm. So I don't always trust them. So I can read them all and still be surprised if what they said was going to happen does actually. Yeah, that's true. You, you never know what you're getting when it comes to spoilers. And I think the last three episodes of the season, I got similar. Uh, I saw similar summaries of them. And I did read one of them in full, and it was pretty accurate. So I thought yeah. after that, you know, if I don't have to read this, I won't. But at the same time, you kind of know when you when you follow it this closely, you kind of know what's coming up and what's what's going to happen anyway. You have so. you have a general idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just before we leave this uh, Michonne story, we got an email from Jennifer in Australia who wrote in with a couple of questions about her, and I thought we could answer them right now. She said, Michonne and her pet walkers, is she keeping them in the same misguided belief that Herschel had? If so, in the comics, she dispatched them pretty quickly when Rick wouldn't let her in with them, so she didn't seem to care that much. Does she just like the company? <laughs> um, so to answer her question, Michonne doesn't keep these walkers 
because she thinks uh, she thinks they can be cured like Herschel does. Right. She keeps them for protection. Well, and they also uh, keep the other zombies off of her. It's well, the same same yeah. thing as covering yourself in the Doesn't zombie gore in order to blend in so that they don't they don't bother you. So she keeps them around to uh, to to make all the other zombies think that they're just a small group of zombies wandering through the uh, the world, <laughs> one zombie her. leading others. Kind of to mask her own alive scent. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's I meant like by protection. It's like a dog rolling in stuff in the yard. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, now, is it ever explained? Obviously, she cuts their jaw off and she cuts their arms off, so they don't have much capacity to attack her or bite her. But is it ever really explained why they just kind of stand there and they don't at Try. least at least move towards her in some way? See, and that's what I thought, too, that they would still be straining to get at her, not just following along like little puppies. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's ever really been explained or not. I I, I don't it, remember. I don't think so. Based on things we've seen in the series, you know, the walker trying to get through the windshield to Lori a couple of episodes back, where it just skinned itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You would... You would think that the drive to attack would still be there, even if they didn't have jaws or arms, and they would still be going at her. That's what I would think. I would think that that like even Bicycle Girl, even she, exactly. even though she didn't have any legs at all, was still straining to get at Rick. So you think that uh, regardless, even if it was a you know a, a dismembered head kind of thing, it would That's still what I was try and ready to say, that roll around and. <laughs> You know, crawl, crawl along by its lips to try and get at you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I've seen... Oh, that's a visual, Jason. <laughs> that's such a visual. Yeah. Thank you. Pull yourself along the ground with your lips. <laughs> now, okay, so the, uh, the, uh, the origin story in Playboy uh, a couple of weeks ago... Yep. Uh, that we, that we Which read. I have not seen. Okay, can I... Is, is it possible? Can I spoil that a little bit? Uh, for me, I don't care. All right. We avoided spoiling it last week, but now people have had a week to read it in the magazine or online, so feel free to spoil it like hell now. Okay, so these two zombies are actually her boyfriend and her boyfriend's best friend. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and we also know that uh, zombies uh, do have some sort of residual memory from when they were alive. We have the uh, the RV inspector. We have, um, uh, what's his name's wife? She tried to get into the house. Uh, Morgan. Morgan, yeah. yeah. So the only thing I can assume is that uh, her boyfriend and her boyfriend's best friend uh, were well-behaved and trained long before they were dispatched. <laughs> to leave her alone? That's right. <laughs> do what I say. Just follow me along. So what you're saying, in other words, Jason, is that she was wielding that katana long before wildfire. <laughs> well, she did find it in the uh, in the origin story. She didn't have it before uh, the zombie outbreak, and she had no idea uh, how to use it beforehand. So she got uh, really good, really fast. She really she? did. That's that's the thing too. Eh? Is she that... and Andrea are just prodigies. Oh yeah, <laughs> everybody in this show seems to be able to learn stuff really quick and <laughs> headshot, be masters. Headshot, at headshot. It. Yeah, yeah. Suspension of disbelief. Yep. Well, so, uh, yeah, all I can assume is that uh, uh, these companions of hers were well-behaved for a very long time. I guess so. She uh, she may not have had the katana early, earlier on, but she wielded an emotional katana and kept them in line. Or maybe even maybe she even had the, uh, the collars and chains long before the zombie <laughs> outbreak as well. <laughs> Never know, I suppose. <laughs> all I'm right. not even going to comment on that. <laughs> I'm going to be quiet now. Very good. Our next item in the news. Glenn Mazzaro was interviewed after the season finale by MTV. 
and he had this to say about the prison and what to expect in season three and beyond. He said, right now, I do see the prison storyline lasting through both seasons three and four. I think that is a major storyline. I know uh, we were on the farm perhaps longer than people wanted. There were reasons for that. What we want is for that prison to not feel claustrophobic. I think the farm played a little claustrophobic for some people. Now that the entire landscape has fallen victim to the zombie apocalypse, zombies are literally at the gates of this prison. That prison is a very safe, small corner. There's a lot of danger around. It won't feel like we are bottled up the way we were on the farm. So the first mm. thing to take away from that is he's basically saying that they're going to be there for two full seasons. That's a long time. 32 episodes if they do season four with 16. Wow. Now... The prison is the single most extensive storyline in the comic. They were there for, I don't know, at least a third of the complete issues so far. Long time. Right? And there's a lot to do there. There's a lot of potential storytelling there, absolutely. And the fact that they're introducing the governor and Woodbury next season, you know, opens up a whole can of worms there. Mm -hmm. So there's lots to do. But is anyone here worried that we're going to get into a similar scenario where we were stuck on this farm for what felt like a long time, even though it may not have been, and we're going to end up in this prison for what feels like a really, really long time? I don't think that uh, I don't think it'll feel that way because if they're introducing the governor and Woodbury, they're going to be getting away from uh, the prison for a while. At least you know they're going to be out and about because they got to find that place, right? Well, that's kind of what I thought. Uh, assuming they take the same route, right? I mean, that helicopter probably plays into it, as it did in the comic, I think. And it, it does mean that they'll probably be out, out a little bit. But at that prison, you know, who knows if they're going to get into the people that are already at the prison, if I'm there sure are anybody. Will. Well, you never know. Oh, they should. I, I think so, too. But you never know. I mean, they could go a different way. Um, but, I mean, once they're in there and they close that fence... You know, they've got that whole yard. They're going to be growing vegetables and yeah, I mean, having games of football and the, all kinds of stuff. The other side of this is the inside of that uh, location is a lot more complex and there's a lot has a lot more depth than the farm did. You know, mm -hmm. the inside of the farm consisted of, you know, the kitchen and uh, bedroom that uh, somebody passed out in every once in a while. But uh, the inside of the prison is a whole other area to explore, right? And there's, don't forget, didn't I mean there were walkers in the prison yeah there were the first just thing in areas that were locked off the so they they still have a lot of things that can jump out from around corners at them that's true too i mean in the in the comic it took them a while to clear out all the walkers from the prison yeah. eventually i think they did clear it out entirely but the first thing they had to do was clear the yard then clear one wing of the prison so they could live in it and then slowly do the rest of it so you're right. I mean, people probably aren't realizing that once they're locked in there, they're not necessarily locked in there by themselves. Right. Um, and there's also additional living characters that they find in the prison. Again, assuming if the show goes that route, but there's other living people in there that you never know what can happen with them. Mm -hmm. They're uh, more no. dangerous than the walkers sometimes. Isn't that part of the point of the that Kirkman was making with the series? Yeah, that's that's one of the, the main yeah. themes of the whole that's, thing. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be at the prison for quite a while. They're introducing the uh, they're introducing the governor. So, yeah, I mean, my first reaction to this was, wow, they're going to be there an awfully long time. But I don't think that's necessarily that bad uh, a revelation, really. I think it'll feel won't feel as long. Yeah, I don't think it'll feel as as 
as Mazara said, as claustrophobic. It won't feel like they're there constantly and never doing anything. Well, think about it this way. You know, uh, we watched Lost for how many seasons and they were just on this island. You know, like <laughs> how, how long could you stretch out a storyline where they're just stuck on an island for crying out loud? What about Oz? No oh. one ever left that prison. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's right. Not even the people who worked there. <laughs> well, so it could work. A prison, I guess, is the perfect place to be stuck for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose. One more item before we move on, and that is that Michael Rooker and Robert Kirkman have confirmed that Merle will be back in season three. Yay! In what capacity, we don't know, but Rooker was recently at WonderCon, and he was asked if he'll be returning, and he said that he will. And interesting that he he said he had to lose 20 pounds for the role. Now, the reason I find this interesting is because so far he's only had basically cameo parts. And you wouldn't think that if he was just going to come back for one episode or a couple of scenes in an episode, he would have to worry too much about slimming down or, you know, changing his appearance that much for the role. So this to me means he's coming back in a bigger capacity, larger role, maybe a longer episode run in season uh, three and four. So it's not just going to be a flashback or a, a dream sequence kind of thing. I don't think so. He won't be Daryl's hallucination this time. Right. No, he's going to be Daryl's real live brother this time. and Real uh, live, real ticked off brother is my guess. <laughs> probably rather upset. So he has to lose 20 pounds. He's probably been on the run. Well, he just cut off a hand. That's three pounds right there, right? <laughs> yeah. How much did an arm weigh? It was 10 pounds. Okay. So seven to 10 pounds. <laughs> so there you go. Cut off his, maybe cut off his other hand and both his feet. Who knows? That's a quick way to lose some weight. (laughs) But I assume he's been on the run or at least been out there for a while with not much to eat and he's skinnying down a little bit. Yeah. Um, Kirkman confirmed this on AMC's Talking Dead. He was asked if we'll see Morgan, Dwayne, or Merle again. And he had a fantastic answer. He said... I loved his answer. It was such a non-answer. Oh, but it was it was kind of a non-answer, but not really. He said, I can say that there is a 100% chance that we'll see 33% of those characters again. <laughs> it wasn't a non-answer That's if awesome. you knew what uh, Rooker had said. Exactly. convention that it was... If you knew what he was talking about, it completely made yeah. sense. That's a Yogi Berra. perfect sense. That's a Yogi Berra quote right there. Is it? Yeah. Uh, half a baseball is 90% mental. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not even that vague because he says 100% chance mm-hmm. that we'll see 33% of those characters again. So we'll 100% chance we'll see one of them and we already know that it's Merle. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see Merle come back, actually. Uh, I am too. I think that Redis and Rooker on screen together are pretty damn cool. Those guys are both great actors. They're very cool. And uh, especially uh, Michael Rooker. I mean, I've seen him. I've been watching him for a long time and a lot of his TV uh, movie appearances and so on. And mm-hmm. I've liked the guy for a long time. So I was pretty excited when he was originally cast on the show. And I didn't even know at the time what the nature of his role would be. Turns out it was pretty small, but it was still fun to see him see him act. And, you know, he had that one scene on the rooftop by himself where he was just going yeah. a little bit mental. And he was he was phenomenal in that scene. Oh, yeah. He was. So whether he comes back as part of the governor's group or just by himself or whatever, I think it's going to be great. All righty. So that wraps up the news. We'll have more news for you in the coming weeks as uh, things are released and we got uh, different things to talk about. Before we move on to our next section, though, I want to take a brief moment to thank our sponsor for this podcast, and that is Audible. 
For the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Jason, uh, do you have a recommendation? You know, I'm going to recommend uh, A Game of Thrones, A Song of Fire and Ice, book one by George R.R. R. Martin. So this is the first book in the series. This is the book they've already made a TV show out of. That's right. Okay. And I watched the TV show and eventually, uh, you know, eventually watched the whole thing, which mm-hmm. it took me a long time, but uh, I, I did enjoy it. And my wife bought the uh, the whole series, well, the first four books in a, in a box set, and uh, she keeps them in the bathroom because Game <laughs> of Thrones it just seems like the appropriate place to read those. <laughs> On the throne. On the throne. Okay. Of course. <laughs> so it comes in at uh, 33 hours and 50 minutes on a bridge. Wow, that's almost as long as the stand, isn't it? It is, and which I'm very much enjoying. Yeah, you're still going I through that the one. I love the stand. I'm it almost is one of at my the end. Books. Yeah. Lisa, are you an Audible listener? Um, I do listen to some things on audio, and I actually would have a recommendation too. Sure. I don't know if you've either mentioned this. I haven't. I don't think I've heard you mention it before. But World War Z. Oh, yeah. Good. If you've, if you've read the book, that's, you know, it's a good book. But listening listening to it um, is even better because they have a lot of uh, rather big name actors, including Mark Hamill, uh, Alan Alda, and some others who read these separate sections as the characters whose point of view is being given. That's for cool. That particular installment. Oh, it's very they good. They have a, a different actor for each POV, and I listened to it on a long car trip, and it was really incredible. It's I have read than, the book, but that sounds really, really exciting. It's a different, even if you've read the book, I think it's a different experience because of having it acted out. I mean, an Alan Alda, I, you know, I well, love yeah. Alan Alda, have for a number of years, and um, it really, really adds to the story to have it done uh, with individual characters rather than one narrator reading the entire thing. That's cool. That's cool. More like a radio play than an audio book. Yeah, that sounds really, really awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. I didn't realize that they did it that way, so yes. I enjoyed yeah. the book quite a bit. I think it's time that I listen to it again now. I think this uh, World War Z was the first thing I ever purchased on Audible. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you've listened to it too? Oh, yeah, it was great. Oh, that's exciting. I'm going to have to go pick it up. If you and want to get... A, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, kind of as an added um, trivia point, when they were filming World War Z in Europe, my nephew, who lives in Hungary, um, is one of the extras. Oh, yeah? Well, that's exciting. So he said Brad Pitt asked for his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Any word on when yes. that movie comes out? I do not know. I don't know uh, either, but I hope it's amazing because I'm excited for it. I really do. If it is not amazing... It, there will be a lot of people very, very upset. <laughs> exactly. I'm looking at IMDb, and it just says uh, 21st of June, 2013. Okay, so next year, maybe, if we're lucky. Uh, hopefully. All right. And hopefully my nephew doesn't end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> yeah, not. I hope not. Uh, if you want to read World War Z or the Game of Thrones, you can go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead to download one of those books for free. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for a free book and a 30-day trial. All righty. So, uh, Lisa, you're here yes. for a reason. And there's a few things I want to, uh, I just want to chat about with you, sort of sure. general topics around your expertise, I think, and, uh, you know, get your perspective on some stuff. So, the okay. first one is Mr. Norman Reedus. 
Uh, yes, Sir Reedus. <laughs> Sir Reedus. <laughs> uh, I think it's safe to say that for a while there, we got more listeners because of him than pretty much any other way. Anytime I mentioned the guy or... Uh, there was at one point last summer where we watched some of his older movies and talked about them. I tweeted mm-hmm. about that and people on Twitter went crazy and they were, you know, getting in touch with me to say, when's he on the show? When's he on the show? What are you doing? And so I think we got more listeners because of him than almost anybody else, which is yeah, he has kind of quite, exciting. He has quite the cult following going back, you know, over 10 years to the original Boondock Saints movies. What is it about him, do you think, that uh, drives all the ladies crazy? Oh, do you really want me to say that out I, loud? Yes, I do. <laughs> I want to know because I like um, I like the guy, but you know, well, he is he is an incredible actor, and he's very very versatile. If you've watched a lot of his things, you can see he's played some very different roles. Um, that has done a lot of independent film, and I think that gives him an opportunity to pick roles based on the character and not on the paycheck. So he is a, a really good actor, and he's honestly not difficult on the eyes I mean, <laughs> we watched um cold harbor i think it was have you seen that one dark harbor uh, dark, dark harbor, harbor yeah. where his character did not even have a name he was simply the young man he was the young man exactly mm-hmm. i thought he was really really good in that movie and he was really really creepy in that movie <laughs> well totally creepy but a great yes. twist at the end if you ask me and um a lot of people didn't like that twist oh man i thought it was i've, I've seen a lot of things on on fan sites and fan uh, blogs and postings and stuff that thought it was a real cop out. I personally liked it because I usually see the twist coming uh-huh. and I did not see that one coming. I didn't see it coming either, but I also thought it was it was kind of earned, if you if you know what I mean. Like I think there was enough in that that movie to not necessarily lead you towards that that ending. But it worked for me. And if you go back and watch the movie over after having seen the ending, yeah, you pick up on them. Yeah, and and you pick up on little things. Uh, totally, and a lot of movies sort of like that. A lot of movies with a twist like that are like that. If you watch it a mm-hmm. second time, but for me, it worked. I mean, it kind of came out of left field, but it it absolutely worked. And I thought he was really great in it. What I was going to say is how kind of effeminate he looked at the end of that movie <laughs> i was surprised because i see him as kind of a manly man sort of and maybe that's what uh one of the things everyone likes about him well is that seeing him as a manly man after having seen him as daryl and then going back and watching things where he wasn't playing quite that it could be it could be yeah. a role I mean, because a lot of his roles have been tough guys. Yeah, know, it could probably be. Probably 90% of them. One of my, like my my first, you know, I, I knew of the guy, but my real first exposure to him was in The Walking Dead. And then yeah. we went back and watched Boondock Saints. And that's kind of how I came into to my own fandom of him as well. Oh, okay. I remember him from Blade 2. Like as soon as I, we found Skid. out that he was going to be on The Walking Dead, I'm like, oh, is that guy from Blade 2. He played a He vampire. was a really, really nasty guy in Blade 2. He was. I mean, it obviously was memorable for me because I, rem- I remembered mm-hmm. it even after uh, a number of years. Like, it was 2002 that that came out. I don't know if I've ever seen Blade 2 because I can't think of him in that. Well, he was, uh, he was kind he of was a... He was the only reason I watched it. <laughs> I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Lisa, have you seen his entire catalog? <laughs> Not everything. I've seen a good chunk of it. And that's primarily because being impressed with, you know, his very first episode on The Walking Dead when you see him going ballistic and throwing squirrel, squirrels at Rick <laughs> and pulling great. a knife <laughs> and all of that stuff. But then you see him turn around and he's wiping tears away. Yeah. 
Well, and I thought, this is somebody who's putting a little more thought into this character. And that made me more interested in him as an actor, and that made me go back and watch other things from his catalog. Yeah, and you know, every character on the show has their own... Like, they appeal to me, most of them anyways, in sort of different ways. But he is one of the most... He's probably one of the deepest characters on the show, because exactly. he's he's got his, like, crazy side of squirrel throwing and ear necklace making. And he's also, you know, very loyal... To his brother, although we haven't, you know, that hasn't been fleshed out quite uh, that much yet, but I think we're going to get to that next season. And so he's got those two sides to him that really, really work well. And there's a lot of character to explore with him there, I think. Right. Well, and, and I think a lot of it is, you know, there's always the possibility in the dynamic of a family with, you know, a brother like Merle, that a lot of his own personality was kind of steamrolled over. Right. <laughs> and it's not really until Merle is gone that he's able to kind of branch out and stop just acting like he thinks Merle wants him to act. That's true. Yeah, he's Merle's gone, so he sort of comes into his he's own a little bit. He's not under his influence anymore. <clears throat> yeah, right. That combined with then suddenly, okay, there is no kin around, uh, no blood relative. I guess maybe I need to think about creating a little bit of family, you know, that possibility as far as why he opens up a little bit and calms down a little bit with the rest of rest of the group over season two. Yeah, well, he's a smart enough guy that I think he knows that he's not exactly. going to survive on his own, and he needs other people, so... He... Yeah, what was it he told Rick in uh, Chupacabra when he was headed out to look for Sophia? And Rick said, you don't have to do this. We've got a base now. We've got a farm. And Daryl, just as he walks off, says, my other plans fell through. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Ain't got ain't got Merle no more. Might as well be doing something. Yeah, That's might as well be doing something. That's kind of the way I read it. And something worthwhile, too. You exactly. know, it's, he's not just chopping wood or whatever, even though that might be important. But he's out, you know, looking for a little girl that they think is still out there. So, A little girl that he believes is quite possibly still alive because, after all, it's Georgia, not the mountains of Tibet. <clears throat> That's right. That was his line, too, right? Yeah, that was his line, too. That was, that was one line. of my favorite lines. It's Georgia, not the mountains of Tibet. <laughs> it's what he told Andrea when she was asking him if they, if he really thought they could find her. Right. So you've written a lot about uh, the character on TalkingWalkingDead.com, at least yes. at least two articles. Uh, one, I think the I've, first one you posted, right? Well, I have written 10 articles total on the website, and six of those have been <laughs> Daryl-centric. See, the ladies love Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> the the ladies love Daryl. Um, so, and I have more comments on those blogs than any of the others. Yeah, he well, clearly he's a popular guy. So, how do you see? I think you wrote five reasons that you love, or five reasons that he's your favorite, and then that you was my first one, and then you followed it up after season two with five reasons that he's still your still favorite. Still my favorite, yes. How do you see, like, do you see him having changed? We kind of talked about it already a little bit, but changed a lot through those episodes. And is that, you know, is that why he's your favorite? Run down some of the reasons for us, if you don't mind. Well, I think primarily because a lot of the other characters are still pretty much the same personality types as the beginning. You haven't seen a whole lot of huge change. At mm. least I haven't. And in him, you have really seen... Um, his opening up to people, his talking to people and not just giving them dirty looks all the time. He's he's done more of that. He's not done a lot of it, granted. But he has. He's still pretty much a wild card because he's not in the comic and you still don't know exactly 
what he's going to do, but his reactions are a little more predictable than they used to be. He's calmed down a lot. Yeah, I think he's calmed down a little bit. He's he's. But he almost had to because if the writers were going to keep him around long term, and I don't think they tended, intended to originally. I think he and Merle were both supposed to be gone pretty early, but it was the reaction to Rita's from the fan base that kept his character on. Yeah, I don't know that for sure, but I think I would speculate yeah. that you're probably right. He was one of these characters that was written in and, you know, who, I don't really know what the plans were early on in season one. You know, no. we, we had the, all these existing characters in the comic. We had new ones coming in. Um, no one would expect T-Dog to have lasted as long as he has, but he's still around. And, and I'm hoping they're going to do more with him. Yeah. Oh, I agree, too. I Irony hope they do more. Irony is such a good actor and such a wonderful person. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Mazzara said he's, we can't always focus on everybody, right? The nature of the story in season two just didn't really include him. I mean, he was around doing stuff, supporting yeah. the group, but it was about, it was about the Rick and Shane, you know, exactly. confrontation. And, and T-Dog just didn't happen to be a huge part of that. Um, so it, it will be good to see him doing more stuff. But as for Daryl, you're probably right. He was probably destined to be gone a long time ago, but oh my God, everyone loves him. So let's keep him on. Might and as I well. Think if, and I think if they'd known the fan base reaction to Rooker was going to be the same, I don't think Merle would have gotten left on that roof. Yeah, maybe not. Although, I mean, Rooker is probably the biggest name actor that's been oh, on yeah, the show. Definitely. So he's definitely doing other things. He probably, I would guess that he probably just came in you know, for those scenes, they ended up being really, really good. And I, maybe they would have had him back sooner, but he's probably a difficult guy to schedule doing other stuff. Well, yeah. You know, he's busy. Very true. Um, so. But I have, I have seen some change, you know, you have seen some change in Daryl. You see him being a little calmer. You see him seeming to care a little bit more. Um, he's letting down that guard some, I think. Definitely letting that, his guard that's, down. That's the big thing that I think I've seen is him letting down his guard. And uh, yeah, which is good. He's become part of this family a little bit. Now, when his actual family comes back next season, could That's, open a whole other thing. We'll see. It's going to be fireworks. <laughs> going to be fireworks <laughs> because you got to think Merle is going to be still pretty upset about everything that went down. Yeah. Well, I would be, <laughs> you know, leave me on a roof. I think that's probably the understatement of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Who... Is today National Understatement Day? Hey. Sure, it is. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> National Understatement Day. Um, okay, that's cool. So, I, I understand you also have some thoughts on the SS logo that was on Merle's bike that Daryl's been riding around. Tell us I what you think about it. that. Well... You know, you guys were talking on that one episode about it and Hell's Angels and the SS logo being part of the Hell's Angels insignia, and it's really not. Um, you know, there it's, it's no doubt an indication that Merle's a racist. Mm -hmm. you know, it was Merle's bike, not Daryl's. Probably right. could possibly be a member of some white supremacy group. But that logo is not a recognized patch for any organized motorcycle motorcycle club you know what people think of as gangs that my husband and i have ever seen my husband's been riding 25 years i've been riding with him you know 13 been to different events been around hell's angels haven't seen it as a specific angels logo now sometimes individual chapters will create their own patches for their own reasons um but it's not anything that's specific to the angels or any other group and 
I can almost bet you that they wouldn't have used it if it was specific to the angels. Mm. I told you, Chris, in my email when we were talking about the Saturday Night Live sketch mm-hmm. from the 70s, um, they did a sketch that included three guys dressed in motorcycle leathers that had the Death's Head logo from the club, uh, the club's colors. They were just paper mock-ups taped to the back of the vest. They weren't actual patches or even in color. Mm-hmm. But just a couple of days after that episode aired, the attorneys for Hell's Angels International Incorporated showed up at 30 Rock <laughs> oh, geez. and said, where did you get this and why did you use it? Um, now, they, they didn't bring big, you know, big, ugly bikers with them. They were corporate attorneys in suits. Right. But they are an organized, incorporated entity. And they, like any other organized, incorporated entity, will do everything they need to do legally to protect their copyrighted logo. Yeah, they'll defend their copyright exactly. and patents or whatever. If exactly. Th- think the Hells Angels own patents? Probably not. Probably not patents, but I'm sure that they own <laughs> copyright know. on, I mean, the copyright on the Death's Head logo, which is the skull and the wings coming off of it. Right. On the back. The wings on Daryl's vest are nothing. There is, I've seen things online people have said about it, Hell's Angels, because it was wings, and it is not. So I guess I, I guess if there's one group you don't want to F with too much, it's, it's those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, even on a corporate level. Yeah, that's right. Even on a corporate level. I think their attorneys are probably scarier than, than anyone else. Oh, I'm afraid of lawyers. Uh, so, okay. So we had someone write in, too, about that, um, speculating that that SS logo indicated that it was somebody who's killed another person in the name of the Hells Angels. But I don't think that's no. true either. No, there. And see, and this is the thing. I we belong to a couple of writer organizations, and I do a newsletter for one, and I've done a couple of articles on patches, um, because there are so many different patches that mean so many different things, and even among the groups wearing the patches, there's debate about what they mean. Right. Like what the number thirteen means, you know, and things like that. And oh, if you know, there's the. The old saying, taking care of business, you know, the TCB patch means you've killed somebody in the name of the gang. Or if you have this band, you know, this black band across this part of your colors. And it, it's all speculation. And in all honesty, the members of the club aren't going to tell you. Right. Yeah, it's so their secret no, anyway. There's no way you can know. And it, I don't see that it really matters. <laughs> but... Bottom That's, line is Merle is a racist. Merle is a racist who probably would have supported a lot of the, you know, uh, Nazi point of view, if you right. want to call it that. Right. And there are, you know, white supremacy groups, unfortunately, are more prevalent in the southern states. Um, well, not that they should be more prevalent elsewhere. They shouldn't be anywhere. But they are more prevalent in those states. There's a long history of racism. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a member of some kind of rough, roughly organized or disorganized group of friends. Well, for all we know. There's nothing on the bike that indicates he was a member of any motorcycle club. No. And, I mean, for all we know, it may never come up on the show again, you know. No, and it may not. It's just, you know, and maybe he just thought it was cool and it was his personal thing and... He wanted to paint it on his bike to make his bike his ride. Yeah, exactly. It may have had absolutely nothing to do with anything, 
other than his own personal viewpoint. It's not an indicator of any kind of group affiliation. Did Daryl say at any point specifically that this is Merle's bike or? Yes. He did? Okay. Yes. I thought it could have just come from from anywhere, like even if they were riding it for a while. Well, you know? well I, I do believe he did say that it was his, but he yeah. he did say something about keep your filthy rag off my brother's bike. Oh, right. Okay. Right. When they came back right before he pulled out the bag of drugs from Merle's saddlebag that included the blue meth. Mm-hmm. The blue uh, meth. <laughs> the blue meth, of course, you know, the, the homage to Breaking Bad. Yep. We awesome. all recognized. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he did say, you know, he picked the, the rag up and threw it at Dale and said, keep your, your dirty rag off my brother's bike or something like that. So it, it was pretty obvious there that it was Merle's and Daryl was driving the pickup truck earlier. Uh, that's right. That's right. So, okay. Well, and that's they left the pickup truck behind when they left Atlanta. That's right. Anyway, so it's interesting. I mean, that's more sort of information about the, uh, about the Hells Angels than I ever would have ever wanted to know. No, but... not at all. Than I ever would have found out on my own probably. So it's, it's interesting. Well, and I'm certainly not an expert on any group and I, I can't say that I can even tell you specifically anything that I have said is absolute perfect truth about <laughs> well, the angels. Because you wouldn't be allowed to anyway. I don't want to make any of them mad either. <laughs> I'm just saying that based on the experiences that my husband and I have had in the writing community, um, in our little neck of the woods, and of course that's only one small part of southern Indiana, mm -hmm. but based on that, it's not it's not an indication of anything we've ever seen. And I don't think that AMC would go there anyway. Yeah, exactly. But I can aside hear from the attorneys I, and, and the whole thing. I don't, I just don't think they would go there and give him a motorcycle club affiliation. <laughs> and that, well, the last thing I want is the attorneys coming to my door. So yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, I can hear some so, sirens so behind you. Someone might be coming to get you. <laughs> well, see, I live eight blocks from a hospital and six blocks from a fire station. Right. Yeah. I used there to live. There are lots of sirens in my neighborhood. I used to live two doors down from a fire hall <laughs> just oh six months ago, which is why I never recorded when I was at home because they, they would go, they're going by 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, well, there's always fires. And so. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was close enough that in the summer and they had the, uh, the doors open, I could hear the alarm that tells them to get on the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just tune it all out after a while? After a while, I just stopped listening. Yeah, exactly. I don't hear it. You know, you do. You learn not to not to hear it. Yeah. It, well, well, when I, you live in any city, I mean, there are always noises like that that just get filtered out after a while because they're always there. It's background. Yeah. All right. One quick question I had about uh, motorcycle clubs is: uh, Do you watch uh, Sons of Anarchy? I have seen most of season one. We've been watching it on DVD. I've not seen all of it. I'm just wondering what your uh, your thoughts are on uh, its accuracy. Like it's obviously oh, uber violent, but uh... I I am not even going to go there because I do not know enough clubs. I do not know enough people in clubs, and I've not been around enough clubs to to have an opinion. Right. Anything I said would be purely speculation. Um, my husband is more the expert on that, and I'm sure he'd be glad to be on your show at some point. Um, <laughs> well, when he, did we... write, he did write a blog, by the way, about Merle's motorcycle or, on the website. Oh, cool. Called Ride Daryl Ride. <laughs> and in it, he discusses, is this bike really the one Daryl should be riding in the ZA? Is it the most practical and why oh, isn't yeah. it or is it? It's those and, handlebars. Well, yeah, <laughs> those ape hangers. They, um, is that what they're called? They call them a Oh, that's now. that's a great name for them. 
pay payers. <laughs> are, and, they seem um, really uncomfortable. Well, and the comment that I always make when I see Daryl on the bike is, doesn't he know that Georgia is a helmet state? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. They helmet ball in Georgia. I guess when the dead walk the earth, it doesn't really matter. No, you've got bigger things to worry about, <laughs> I suppose, than the police. When I was in... Uh, when I was in Florida a few weeks ago, I was shocked to find out that there was no helmet law there. I, I was, you know, hanging around Florida and there were guys on motorcycles everywhere without helmets. And I thought, what's wrong with these people? Indiana, Indiana, where we live, is not a helmet state either. Really? Yeah. That's and my amazing. husband teaches motorcycle safety courses. Does he wear a helmet when he rides? 98% of the time. Oh, good. Well, I think that's the safe choice. Um, there are times you do just want to feel the air in your hair. <laughs> I, I can if I had hair I could probably identify with that <laughs> well, he doesn't have much but you know I as far as I know Jason there's nowhere in Canada where we're from where there's not a helmet law no I not there isn't so it was a really foreign concept to me that you wouldn't be in for you wouldn't have to wear a helmet when on a motorcycle it's like not wearing a seatbelt in a car that doesn't exist here either which I'm not sure if you can still have states where there's no seatbelt law I think all of them pretty much have seatbelt laws now, although I'm not uh, positive about that. Yeah, My I husband am, is nodding his head yes. Uh, I am um, not comfortable in a car if I don't put the seatbelt on. Yeah, yeah. Just part even... of that, and part of that in, in, the, in the states has to do with the fact that federal highway funding, the federal government will not give states funds to do work and repairs on their highways unless they have seatbelt laws enacted. Hmm. Oh, so they might and, as well. And there are several groups who are fighting right now on both sides of the issue for the same thing regarding helmets. Hmm. Right. Okay. I have a hard but, time pulling the car out of the garage without putting my seatbelt on. It I just still becomes feel, second nature. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's uncomfortable. Well, everyone should know that here in Ontario, um, for minors, and that is people under 18, you, it's even law that you have to wear a helmet on a bicycle. In only for minors? I thought it was for everybody. No, it's not for everybody. As an adult, you get to make that choice yourself. But for if you're 18 or under, or under 18, I guess, you have to wear a helmet on a bike even here. <laughs> and I do believe that in in the United States, any state that has a helmet law or that does not have a helmet law, um, there is still a requirement if someone is under 18 that they have to wear a helmet on a motorcycle. Okay, because they're not mature enough to make that decision exactly. for themselves, Exactly, they can't I make guess. that own decision for themselves. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, so... Uh, I have heard people often ask me, why is it you don't have to wear a helmet on the motorcycle, but I have to wear a seatbelt in the car? And my quick answer to that is because the people against seatbelt laws weren't nearly as organized as the people against helmet laws. <laughs> so get your act together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, and it's, and it's, um, we're active with the motorcycle rights organization in our state. Well, and I'm going to about a lot more than helmet laws. Yeah, of course. I'm going to I'm going to take my motorcycle uh, license test someday because uh, I have very, very little experience riding one. But I'd like to try. I'd like to get into it a little bit. Hmm. And I don't know what courses are offered in Canada. But like I said, my husband teaches a motorcycle safety course here. Yeah, up here, you just have to do a special uh, weekend course to get a special certification on your driver's license that makes it good for motorcycles. Yeah, it's kind of, it's an endorsement. It's it's kind of similar here. Uh, you can actually go and take a, you can just go and take the test to prove you can ride or you can take the class and pass it. Oh, I would but, need to take the class. Oh, yeah. But every state is different. I know the state of Tennessee requires you to take the class. You don't have a choice. Right. I have so a coworker every, that- Every uh, state is different. I have a coworker that got into an accident while taking a motorcycle uh, safety course. He got hit by another guy that was in the course as well. 
Oh, well, that at least happens occasionally. <laughs> I'm sure it does because people don't. That's why they're they're there to learn. Right. And right. so if someone yeah. really has a bad experience, you never know what might happen. Yeah. So how did we get off onto this? <laughs> it happens. We are so far away from Daryl and his motorcycle that we just can't imagine. Oh, and my <laughs> husband is just turning the laptop around to show me something, Chris, that I think I will email to you. Sure. And it's source for motorcycle rider training. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm all so for it. I've, I will have him send me that link and I will forward it to you. <laughs> sure. Just before we move on, I will say I will admit that I've only ever been on a motorcycle one time in my life and I wasn't driving it. There I was go. I was the passenger. Nice. <laughs> we call that riding bitch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna admit that, but you know, I figured one of you guys would. <laughs> well, and if you know me for very long, you'll know why that term came around. <laughs> uh, it, it was amazing. I had a really really fun short ride on the back of a motorcycle one time. It was awesome. So maybe someday I'll learn to drive my very own. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a different topic. Sure. Lisa, you wrote. Way, I think way back in November of last year, a post on the site about the gender issues, the gender roles in this show. Yes. And it turns out that you were a little bit ahead of the curve here, I think. Because mm. back then, although you might argue this, back then not many people were thinking about the gender issues that this show has a little bit. It kind of came to the forefront in, uh, in an episode a few weeks ago when we had Andrea and Lori talking about it in the kitchen of the farm. Out. Yeah. Um, but you wrote about it all the way last fall, and at Back the time, before Andrea actually picked up again and became that freaky sharpshooter. Yeah, the freaky sharpshooter right. in a matter of two hours. Yeah. Um, your point at the time, though, was that none of the women on this show have any balls. No. And, and uh, some of the men don't either. Well, to to be but fair, that's, and that's know. the way real life is. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you think it's changed significantly since? Uh, since season two has finished? Well, Andrea's sure grown a set. Yeah. Andrea has grown a set, and I think that Michonne is going to teach Andrea a thing or two. Well, it's, there's Michonne is more manly than most of the dudes on the show in some ways. This is this is true. <laughs> um, but I think... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, so we have Andrea who's stepped it up a little bit. She's learned to shoot a gun. She clearly doesn't want to be doing dishes and no. laundry and stuff like that. Um, but Lori's really the other side of this coin, and I think mm -hmm. that's what the show is getting at here now. Exactly. Um, I, I'm not sure what the point is, though, of having this, this kind of theme in a show like this. Well, you know, Kirkman has said from the beginning it's about the survivors, not the zombies. Right. The zombies are the landscape. And I know. guess it's about how the survivors react to those zombies and how they fall exactly. into certain roles. And part of rebuilding, you know, any society is going to be defining the roles and the jobs for everybody in it, not just men versus women or anything. But everyone, we're going to have to learn to do new things. We're going to have to learn where we fit in. And I think that this is a perfect example of what one of those arguments might be between women in the group. This is an argument women have been having for decades. Yeah, it certainly go, isn't just a Walking Dead topic no, of discussion. If, if you go back to, you know, the 60s, and the 70s with the, the second wave feminism, and I won't go into all the history of that. Everyone's eyes will glaze over. <laughs> um, but you get into that where there were the women who worked outside the home, you know, who didn't marry, who chose to stay single and be career women, and some women who were married that worked outside the home and were career women as well. 
versus the stay-at-home moms. And both sides, in a lot of cases, did more attacking each other than anything else, which really hurt the movement. And what feminism, I mean, and this goes all the way back to the Seneca Falls Convention in the 1840s, what it's really about in the women's right movement is that women have the right to make their own decisions and aren't treated like property, plain and simple. If you believe those two things, you're a feminist, whether you want to say you are or not. I find it hard to believe that anyone wouldn't believe those two things. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that, in my opinion, that's basically what it all comes down to. Mm-hmm. Women make their own choices. Women have control of their own lives. And in this situation between Andrea and Lori, you know, Lori is basically, from her point of view, you know, the stay-at-home mom telling Andrea, the career woman, she's made the wrong choice. Right. That she doesn't have any right to do that. Andrea, I don't think, is telling Lori, you need to put down the, the knife and the carrots and start learning to shoot a gun. She's obviously taking umbrage with what Lori said to her about what she is doing. But that's, that's basically it, is it's that infighting between the two sides of what a woman's place should be and, you know, I am a career woman. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I have no desire to be a stay-at-home mom. But in the event of a zombie apocalypse, knowing how lousy a shot I am and how much upper body strength I don't have, I will have no problem cooking the meals and washing the laundry while the <laughs> men folk go out and kill the walkers. Well, I mean, I was going to it's, say, I mean, to play devil's advocate for a minute, does it not make sense to kind of divide the labor in this way to a certain extent. I mean, every case is different, but... uh, Everyone should play to their own strength. Well, exactly. Whether you're leading the group of survivors in the zombie apocalypse or you're leading a project team at work, you have to give people the jobs that are where their strong suits lie. So if you're not strong enough to lift and fire a gun, but you're strong enough to cut carrots, so be it. Exactly. And if I'm better at cutting carrots, I'm okay with that. There you go. And if I'm a better shot than you are, why should I waste my time doing laundry while you're out there shooting and missing? Absolutely. And I'd be doing a lot of that because <laughs> speaking of things I've never done, shooting a gun is one of those things too. <laughs> well, I, I have done that quite a bit. So. <laughs> All right. Well, if we're ever stuck in a zombie apocalypse together. I'm not a good shot though. <laughs> I, but I know what my job's going to be. <laughs> cutting carrots? Running away and hiding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, that was going to be my job. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. My job will be uh, running away and getting caught very quickly because I have bad knees. Oh, you're screwed, man. Yeah, I'm totally hooped when it comes to a zombie apocalypse. Climb a tree. Uh, (laughs) Climb a tree. (laughs) You can only last for so long up a tree. I will endeavor to do that. Uh, Climb a tree and pray that Daryl shows up. (laughs) See? We all need Daryl. We all need Daryl. I'll be equally screwed, not because of my knees, but because I got two little kids I got to you know, cart along somehow. And you can't survive with two little kids. Sure you can. It would, it would be difficult. I think it would be pretty tricky. Safe, yeah. And I'd want to watch them a little bit closer than yeah. people are watching Carl. Just don't let him out of the house. <laughs> you know, that will be a good thing at the prison, though. Carl will be locked in. That's true. I guess. But he, he can also... wander off and throw rocks at the zombies in the swamp anymore. No, you're right. He'll be locked inside the fence. I guess he can still wander around the, yeah, the can, yard, though. He can throw rocks at the fence line. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyways, with the gender stuff, um, I wonder if it's going to play a major role in the show as we move forward or if they just kind of touched on it and now they're moving on. 
I think they're, they just touched on it. I, I don't think it's going to play a major role because it's not dramatic enough. You have to look at, you know, what they, their focus is, ratings mm -hmm. and income, advertising revenue. And if every week was Lori and Andrea arguing with each other, uh, I don't think that they would be breaking records with yeah. 9 million viewers like they did last week. Yeah, there's there's only so much you can say, you know, on a topic like that. Yeah, that and people, I think, it, yeah. That people don't already know or, you know, hasn't already been said. So it, I, I think it was just bringing it to, to the forefront to talk about it a little bit. And it was also you know, the dramatic catfight between the two of them because they're the alpha women. Right. Just like just like Shane and Rick were the alpha, the two alphas, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrea and Lori kind of are the same in a way. And it was just a way to point it out and have Andrea be able to make her little remark to Lori about, you know, Shane. Yeah. Oh, that was, which was, it, it was a great it was remark. For effect. Yeah, oh, it was. <laughs> and I don't think in any way they were intentionally going, oh, let's talk about gender. I think that it just happens to play into that for some viewers like me. Other yeah. people wouldn't have even thought twice about it, particularly male viewers. Yeah, well, when we brought it up on the show here, too, I mean, uh, you know, we had a listener write or call in, I can't remember, and he, he just said, you know, it's... It's you might be surprised by sort of the way it played out on the show, but this is kind of the way it is in the South. And I don't know if that's much of a an argument or not, but I'm not in the I'm not really in the South. I'm in the Midwest. Uh huh. So I'm not sure I didn't grow up in that. I can't speak to that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I know lots of women from the South though who have PhDs and are career women, you know, who grew up in Georgia and Alabama. Yeah. So it it may be more prevalent there, uh, but it's certainly not all the women in the South are sitting at home baking biscuits. No, obviously not. And I don't know if it's as much of, I don't know if it's as much of an influence as, as some people might think. I mean, obviously there are stereotypes and so on, but exactly. you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it may be slightly more prevalent, but I don't know if it plays into everyday society as yeah. much as I, people might have you believe. I think it's probably might be more prevalent in rural areas mm -hmm. and there are more of those in the south and in the midwest than you know on the east coast right yeah or definitely. on the west coast so you know it may that may be part of it because so much of the south is rural it but i be. i can't speak to it specifically not having been raised in the south i wouldn't even want to try <laughs> almost everywhere in canada is rural so we know that we know what the differences are like oh yeah <laughs> and covered in ice right uh live, no don't you all live in eskimo in uh igloos in igloos so I, my igloo just melted from the <laughs> uh i don't know in fahrenheit but the 25 degree weather we had last week in march which was crazy <laughs> It is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a friend in Toronto who says, everyone thinks I live in an igloo. <laughs> yeah, that's not it's true. It's um, A lot of our listeners, well, I've had more than one listener tell me that we really, really sound Canadian, which I uh, I wouldn't have guessed had, had I been asked. I don't think you sound that Canadian, eh? I'm not entirely sure what Canadian sounds like, but well, that probably means I sound Canadian. Maybe. I don't think so. You don't apologize that much. Uh, that's true. I guess, yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of those things. <laughs> I do to people are, on the street. You are very polite. Well, you know, we try. <laughs> Who knows? Anyways, 
Uh, whether we're Canadian or not, um, I think we're going to move on sure. to uh, this next segment, which is a familiar one. Here we go. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. So I've got a few holy crap did you see that moments sent in by listeners just to get caught up here a little bit. And of course, keep sending them in if you rewatch an episode or notice something and you just yell at your TV. Holy crap, did you see that? You can send it to us and we'll read it on the air and talk about it maybe. So Stan from the internet wrote in and he said, my holy crap, did you see that moment is from judge, jury, executioner. I am actually surprised that no one else has mentioned it as theirs. I found the first two minutes of this episode where Daryl is interrogating Randall to be one of the most suspenseful two minutes of the series. What a great way to open up the episode. I feel that this episode was the start of the season finale. The last three episodes flowed extremely well together and were not at all disappointing in regards to suspense and story development. Uh, Stan's right. Nobody else did mention that cold open. Hmm. And I think he has a point because it was really, really effectively done. And um, it's one of those things where you don't, you don't know in what context this is happening yet, right? You don't know if this is this is happening later in the episode in the future or if we're seeing it kind of within the standard timeline of things happening. And, uh, you know, um, Norman Reedus did a fantastic job, as he always does, in playing, turning on the crazy a little bit again and interrogating <laughs> this guy. Yeah. He's the doer of dirty deeds. <laughs> he sure is. So that's great. Uh, the one part about that scene that really was kind of a, a holy crap, did you see that for me, I guess, was when Randall made the comment about they didn't even kill him. Right. After about they... the girls and the look on Daryl's face. Yep. Yeah. It was that, okay, now you're going to die. <laughs> you are look. clearly not a nice person. Um, you know, Rita said a, a long time ago in an interview that he kind of made a career out of giving people dirty looks. <laughs> that's Which, not bad if you could make a career wow. out of that i'd be okay with it <laughs> and that was probably one of the dirtiest looks i have ever seen on his face in any role he's ever been in well he was looking so. at one of the clearly one of the you know dirtiest people one of the most exactly despicable people you can imagine after what so he that described. was kind of yeah that was kind of a holy crap did you see that look moment for me totally i liked it a lot Craig from Georgia wrote in with a short one. He says, my holy crap moment when Carol calls Daryl Rick's henchman, a little disrespectful, don't you think? Mm -hmm. He's She's basically saying, uh, dude, you're just, you know, you're just doing what you're told. I think she, I was, I think she was trying to get a rise out of him. Well, she was disagree. trying to make her point. Yeah, I think she was trying to get a rise and get him to support her in her desire to get out of there. Well, she said you're his henchman and I'm a burden. I think what she was doing was trying to tell Daryl this is how she thinks Rick sees them. That uh, Daryl is just, you know, hmm. his henchman, the one who's going to do what he tells him and do the dirty work that Rick can't do. Yeah, that's true. Maybe And that she's just a burden and she's not any, you know, she's worthless in the group and why the hell don't we get out of here if that's all he thinks of us? It's hard That's to believe. For me, it's hard to believe that they, although Daryl is a very capable guy, it's hard for me to believe that separating from the group as just two people is is the right thing to do, though. Oh, I agree, but Carol's very upset about the fact that Rick had not told them that everyone was infected. Yeah. And when people are upset and ticked off, they don't always think rationally. No, almost never. 
yeah, and look at the stressful situation they just come out of. None of them were thinking rationally. I sort of feel like the the everyone's reaction to Rick's revelation that they were all infected. I I, I feel like it was a little bit um, out of proportion. Like, thank you. He, you know, yes. He, yes, he didn't tell them something, but it wasn't something that everyone needed to know. They just think they wanted to know. But I'm not sure they really, really did, you know? I mean, there was enough shit going on that they didn't need to worry about one more thing. I agree because, I mean, that's been a big thing that I've seen online and in fan groups and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, is everyone is, well, he should have told them, he should have told them. <clears throat> and I thought, what difference would it have made? One, except for, you know, if somebody had died next to them, they might put them down before they could get up and kill them yeah it but could be even, a safety issue right yeah if, if it, it could be a safety issue if beth That's, had died in that bed when she was or had killed herself then suddenly exactly. they would have had a zombie in the house and not been prepared for it right and not been prepared for it. so yeah in that regard it is important um but rick even said he didn't know if jenner was telling the truth jenner was a little whacked out there at the end well yeah he was ready to blow himself up in a building exactly so how did Rick even know that Jenner was right? Jenner had said they didn't know how everything worked and all of that stuff when, when they had the little professor explains it to the group moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rick even said, I didn't know if he was right. And if you notice on the episode of um, What Better Angels, I couldn't think of it after Rick is forced to stab Shane, Rick turns and is walking toward Carl and isn't paying any attention to Shane. You think he would have been. If he, exactly, if he really believed that Jenner was right, he would have been watching Shane, mm -hmm. yep. or he would have already put a bullet in his head, one or the other. So I think that, I don't think Rick was as culpable in that as, as the rest of the characters wanted to make him out to be, but again, that's just my opinion. Yeah, and the rest of the characters, I mean, understandably upset, but it's, it's, There's yeah, they, they need to be upset, obviously, and it's it's realistic that they would be. But it's also completely within the realm of possibility. As you said, Rick didn't know for sure. And I guess he felt that you just you didn't need to pile on anymore on these poor people. You know, they had enough to deal with here. So yeah. to deal with and to worry about and how many people would have just killed themselves. Exactly. That might have been that might have been themselves the... through the head and said, I don't want that to happen to me. And he's trying to you know, preserve the group and keep everyone alive. Yeah, so they can shoot each other through the head later on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when it's more appropriate. Exactly. So, Stuart, we got one more. Stuart from Northern Ireland, which is exciting. I don't know if this might be the first uh, Irish email we've received. I don't know. It's hard to, hard to keep track. He says, My moment from episode 13, Beside the Dying Fire, was Laurie's reaction to Rick telling her about killing Shane. The event was a long time coming, and the way Rick told it made him come off as the good guy. Laurie doesn't react in the way I was expecting at all. In my mind, I think she would have been happier with Shane coming back rather than Rick, and I will be interested to see how this plays out, or plays into the complicated relationship the two have. Um... I personally thought Lori, well, Lori's been all over the place, to be yeah. honest, this character. And I think we she could does. probably do a whole podcast talking about her character and her motivations and what the hell she's doing. But her reaction to Rick, in my opinion, I kind of agree with Stuart. It was a little overdone. I mean, she does. She seems to have completely forgotten that she's kind of the one that said, you've got to do something about this. 
And, you know, maybe she set Rick, the wheels in motion. She certainly did. And she on both sides of this argument, it, I think. And she could have, you know, um, she she needs to realize or, or Rick could have said a little bit more up front that, you know, he threatened me and I was protecting myself. Sure, Rick didn't necessarily come out and say that in so many words, but Lori needs to understand what was going on here. And it's not that unclear to me. And I don't see why she would be so repulsed by Rick at this, at the revealing of this data, mm -hmm. this info. <laughs> I need to probably go back and watch that scene again before I say much. Um, so if you want to wait, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, we'll be sitting here. Don't okay, worry. <laughs> okay. um, I, I thought at first that her reaction wasn't so much to Rick telling her that he had killed Shane as it was to him telling her that Carl had had to put Shane down as a walker. It was. That's when she really sort of lost it lost it absolutely but i and but there was some before that and that's the, yeah. i wasn't watching that that close you know it's, not as closely as i should have been well i think i mean it was all a bit of a culmination of everything that she was trying to process all at once there but you're right the, the when he said that carl was the one that pulled the trigger and put shane down is when she kind of was tipped over the edge but it was all leading up to her and she was already backing away from him, you know, just in, in horror. So, yeah, I don't know. I, and I'm, I'm with you. I, Lori has been a little schizophrenic. I think a little might be an understatement, but it is national understatement day. It is. Of it course. Is. Exactly. <laughs> um, she's been just, it seems like back and forth with this, with talking to Shane mm -hmm. from the very beginning, from tell it to the frogs when Rick came back and she was so bent at Shane about, you know, you told me he was dead, don't have anything to do with my family. <laughs> and then the first episode this season, why are you being so mean to Carl? <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, then to the, you have to do something about Shane to, well, Shane, I'm really sorry. I don't know if this baby is yours or not. What in the world was she thinking? <laughs> I mean, what is going to set off someone who is already halfway psychotic and stalkerish about you? Yeah, and, and in telling my him that this baby might be yours. And in my he opinion, said he's dangerous. In my opinion, Shane was already a little bit on the way to recovery and starting to deal with it, yes. and then she just hammered it right back in and. Took and him. I'm, yeah, and she probably, you know, it was one of those just wasn't thinking. I want to make Shane feel better. Yeah. And a lot of times, that just gets you in trouble. You just sure need does. to let it go. Let sleeping dogs lie. And I think everything would have been okay, and maybe everyone would still have been alive now. Yep. Well, um, we would have gotten that wonderful, awesome scene of Shane as a walker. That's true. I mean, sometimes you got to have stuff like this just for dramatic license. Yeah. Uh, I will admit, when, when Rick did uh, stab Shane, I literally screamed at the TV, Carl's <laughs> supposed to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Which made my husband laugh quite a bit. There you go. <laughs> I've been ruined by the comics. At least Carl got his shot in. He did. Exactly. So. I felt better. All righty. Before we move on, uh, Lisa, I understand you have a holy crap moment. Uh, holy crap, did oh, you see yes, that moment I for us? about that. Well, it's not actually from The Walking Dead, but it is Norman Reedus related. Ooh. Of course it is. Yes. Have you Now, Chris, I know you have not seen it, but Jason, have you seen the second Boondock Saints movie? No, I have not. Okay. You know what? If we do a, a second um, actor spotlight on Norman Reedus, mm -hmm. that will be on the list for sure. I can give you some others. 
Okay, sure. Sure. Uh, the There is a scene in Boondock Saints 2 where the brothers are getting ready to leave Ireland to come back to the U.S. and they they dig up their guns and they shave off their beards and they cut their hair and all of this. And there's a shower scene in here. Uh-oh. Ooh. <laughs> and my holy crap, did you see that moment is... <laughs> Holy crap, did you see that? Daryl's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Very um, nice. Most excellent. That was, that was my holy crap moment from this week when we watched that. And my husband did not find it amusing. Well, <laughs> ladies, if you want to see Norman's <laughs> ass, go watch Boondock Saints too. Oh, and that's that's just going to be what everyone remembers me for in this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh, who knows? I, that's all right. I'm sure, uh, you know, we... Along, we did uh, when we watched some of Andrew Lincoln's back catalog. Uh-huh. We watched the pilot episode of uh, a, a British TV show he was on, which yes, I forget I the name of right now. This Life or something like that. Something like that. And he appeared full frontal naked in that. So and that is nothing on British television. No, it's no, it's not a big deal at all. That all the time on European television. <laughs> That's right. So if anyone wants to see that. <laughs> Now you can go see Andrew Lincoln naked, and you can see Norman Reedus's ass, too. It's very exciting. <laughs> for some members of your audience. Absolutely. Others, not so much so. Absolutely. But I feel like I'm totally spoiled on Boondock Saints 2 now. Is there more oh, to there, that movie? There are, lots of, there are lots of other things. Yeah. <laughs> is, lots of other good scenes, too. Is there anything as awesome as the two of them hanging upside down in that room spinning around shooting everybody? Because that was pretty awesome. There, yes, there are a couple of scenes that are just as awesome as that. Okay, that's cool. And the rope, and the rope does come back to haunt them. Oh, good, good. Well, you gotta have your rope. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have a rope. Uh, all right, that's cool. I think it is about time we wrap this up. Um, but Lisa, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Anything else that? It was it was super it was great to have you and and obviously we've talked about you writing for talkingwalkingdead.com but is there anywhere anything else you want to plug anywhere else people can find you or um, find out what you do? Well, they can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is Lockridge underscore Lisa. Okay. A lot of uh, what I post there is when blogs and things go up on the site, not just mine but everyone's, um, and my witty repartee. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you know, other than that, really most of, of the writing right now I'm doing is there on TalkingWalkingDead.com. I have had some poetry and things published, uh, Forever Nocturne. It's an online publication. Mm-hmm. Um, their March 17th edition, I had a, a poem published. But other than that, pretty much the website is my, my life right now. In addition to the blogs, we have uh, some poetry on the site, zombie poetry. Wow. Yes. That's always limericks. good. I saw yeah. limericks, I think, right? Yes. We, we have some cool limericks that I wrote um, and a couple that Ian wrote as well. And character bios up for the all of the, the main characters. I'm still working on finishing those for him. Okay. Uh, a little bit about the characters and then a little bit about the actors or actresses that play them as well. Uh-huh. Have some neat original fan art and just some, some way cool things. We're really growing and we're just really amazed at how quickly we're growing norman Reedus has tweeted links to two of my blogs that's very cool that's awesome that's very cool and as a matter of fact when i was at horror hound in columbus ohio this weekend and walked up to him and stuck my hand out and said hi i'm lisa lockridge you know who i am right he said yes (laughs) that's cool I, i forgot to ask you about that so he said he said yes and i went oh good i thought you might since you 
you've read my blogs. I hope you like them. And he said, I love them. Oh, that's oh, really cool. That's it's awesome. it's fun to meet sort of the topic of your your writing like that, I imagine. Yeah. Right? And, and I was really happy with myself that I didn't go all fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you you come here to do. Yes, I come here to go fangirl. And he, I have to admit, I was a fan of the actor prior to this weekend, but I am truly a fan of the individual now. Mm -hmm. He is one of the most genuine, most polite, sweetest people to his fans that I have ever seen. I have seen people who are not nearly as famous as he is be much, uh, just, just be horrible to fans. And he is... Every single person that came in front of him had his undivided attention for the time they were there. I talked to several fans. None of them felt rushed, even though at one point he had a line that was all the way down the hallway through the entire hotel, out the front door and around the side of the building. Wow. I suspect there were people who waited four to five hours. Wow. And a friend of mine was shaking so bad. She was so nervous. And when they were having their picture taken and he had his arm around her back and he rubbed her back and whispered it's okay oh <laughs> sounds I mean, like that, a nice guy he is just a genuinely nice guy and we were supposed to sit down and do an interview for the blog this weekend but time did not permit that and so we've made other plans and are going to do that by email so well that's very is, cool this is my announcement that that it will be on the side as soon as as he has time okay that's awesome i look forward to reading that he is coming to a big convention here in toronto yes. in the summer so I'm going to be at that, and maybe I can get a few minutes with him there, too. That would be cool. It's it's good to know that he's such a friendly he, guy. He is very friendly, and he is extremely interactive with fans. Cool. Um, he is always tweeting, and I think part of that goes back to the Boondock Saints. Mm -hmm. For a number of years, he and Sean Patrick Flannery and David Del Rocco did the pop culture uh, convention tours. Mm -hmm. And he has a lot of experience with this and he just really takes it. He's just laid back and so soft spoken, nothing at all. Like any character he's played. <laughs> it's like night and day between him <laughs> and Daryl for sure. Well, that's a testament to his ability, ability as an actor, I guess. Exactly. And, cool. um, it was, you know, just an awesome experience and there was not a single fan I talked to and I talked to a great number of them that was not just blown away at how how great he was when they met him cool well i really look forward to to reading the interview when you get that done and uh and obviously and check out the rest of the site yeah for sure uh, everyone glenn who's Mas listening yeah, glenn mazara has been to the site and he says we're like a fun college lit class <laughs> there you go that's cool <laughs> that that's pretty high praise from from mazara so. you should start a walking dead 101 course every every week <laughs> <laughs> well because we we try to really analyze characters and if you've read some of my things and some of the other things that are up we we branch out away from just oh this is what they did and this is what i think about it <laughs> can i read your uh your daryl limerick oh sure go ahead <laughs> well, do you like it yeah it's great i assume you do if you went to read it <laughs> Here, i i pulled it up while we were while we were just talking about it it goes there once was a badass named daryl Disgusted, most found him quite feral, but he rocks a crossbow, and it just goes to show you'll get to love. Uh, damn it, you'll get to love if you save folks in peril. <laughs> the screen went uh, into screensaver right in the middle of that, <laughs> but very good. That was awesome. Very good limerick. And there, there's one up about Buster. 
Oh, Buster the Zombie. Buster the Zombie. There's one up about Lori. Yeah, I and see that. You know how hard one. it is to rhyme a word with Lori. I think you can imagine which one I used. <laughs> I'm going to go with. And I have others that we don't have up on the site yet. All right. I haven't read the Lori one, but uh, people will have to go and check it out for Absolutely. themselves. Absolutely. TalkingWalkingDead.com. That's where you can find all of Lisa's stuff. If you and want, a lot of other good stuff, too. And a lot of good stuff. If you want to get in touch with us, by all means, call our voicemail line. That is 1-866-483-ZOMB. That is 1-866-483-9662. It is a toll-free call. So give us a call. Leave your thoughts, comments, questions, whatever. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Dead or, of course, on our newly 1,000-liked Facebook page at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Once again, big thanks to everyone that is participating over there and uh, really driving most of our kind of interaction. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all on Facebook for the most part. Of course, and thank you, you guys for always being so cool about letting me post on your Facebook page when I have new blogs up. Hey, no problem at all. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you letting me come on and talk about the site a little bit and maybe drum up a little traffic for us we we appreciate it very much we're doing this volunteer just like you are because we love the show yep that's what it's all about you know we just love the show and we we like to talk about it and we like to do this and hopefully people listen and i think you're doing kind of the same thing yeah exactly cool you can also email us talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com if uh, none of those other ways interest you so um, thanks for listening, everybody, for The Talking Dead. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And Lisa was here, too. Thanks for listening. Yes, my name is Lisa. <laughs> Bye. Bye.